have your love come down with my hands to heaven shout your praises loud i was lost in darkness when you pulled me out i will sing forever of your love come down
may be seated. Our scripture reading today comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, and 16 to the end, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These rules, which have to do with with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you ever have those moments when you have a thought and an idea in your mind and you have a hard time saying what you're thinking? I've sort of had one of those weeks as I've tried to process what this passive scripture has laid on my heart. It is about our concept of heaven and earth. I think there is something in our minds that, that sees a disconnect between heaven and earth. We, we sort of feel like I, I live my life on earth and then I will live my life in heaven with God. And, and if there is any connection, it is a one-way street. It is the mindset that we live right on earth in order to be able to live in heaven with God. And the thought that's been going through my mind, the question in my mind that I've been pondering for a while and has kind of come to me in this passage, is as true as that is, what if that's not the whole picture? 
What if it's not a one-way street? What if it's a two-way street? I think because I've been pondering some of these things lately, this passage in Colossians jumped out at me. Because when you get to chapter 3, Paul says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then he says this, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven. It makes me wonder if if the reality of, of how we live on earth is shaped and formed by how we think about heaven. And you can say that the other way around. What we think about heaven is really how we live on earth. Because heaven is, is really the place that the, the new heaven, the new earth, eternity with God is really about God and his priorities and his thinking and his will. Glenn Stossen says in one of his books that, that heaven is the realm where God rules fully and his will is done completely. When we get to the new heaven and the new earth, when we live in eternity with God, everything about that existence will be about God. What defines it as heaven is the fact that it is God. It is God's purpose. It is God's priorities. It is God's will. It is God's kingdom. It is all about God. And that's why in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis says that the people are in heaven because they want what God wants. And the people who are not in heaven are not in heaven because they don't want what God wants. See, we had this thought in the back of our mind if we were to say, everybody wants to go to heaven. Well, I'm kind of thinking as I read Paul's, I read the scriptures, I think about what Lewis says... I'm not sure that's the case. Because not everybody wants heaven to be what God says it is. But for those of us who do, it has a bearing on how we live now. I think part of our problem in thinking through this is that we still believe the old adage that says he's, no, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. And so we think, if we think about the eternity, if we think about the world to come, if we think about the new heaven and the new earth and life in eternity with God, if we think about that too much, then we will, we will not be any good on earth. But I've come to realize that, that if we're not any good on earth, the problem is not that we're thinking too much about heaven. The problem is we're not thinking about the right kind of heaven. Because people who don't do good on earth are not, are not modeling, are not living the life of God. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I want us to think about how our, how our view of heaven, how our view of, of eternity with Christ impacts how we live now. And I want to start the, 
in this passage in Colossians. And what we hear Paul saying here is that when we think, we talk about thinking about heavenly things instead of earthly things, he has right before that said, the opposite of heaven is believing that the kingdom is about rules. When we get to the new heaven and the new earth, when we begin to experience eternity with God and the fullness of all that God is and his kingdom and his rule and his will, it will not be about rules. It will be freedom. And Paul says to to us, if the kingdom then isn't going to be about rules, why do you create a kingdom here that is about rules? When God has created you not for rules, but for freedom. It's a struggle for us because if we, if we were raised in the church, I have a feeling most of us, the rules were pounded into our heads. In fact, I read somewhere this week that someone said, I think about all my life with, in the church and growing up in the church. He said, if I had to summarize it in one word, it would be the word behave. I can relate to that. Behave. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is to behave. It is to follow the rules. And Paul says, nothing could be further from the truth. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is to be free. Now, are there boundaries? Of course, yes, there are boundaries. There are definitely boundaries that God creates. I think we could think of the Ten Commandments as a boundary. I think we think of the greatest commandment of loving God and loving others as one of those boundaries. I think the Sermon on the Mount is one of those boundaries. But they're not rules. And the difference is a rule is a checklist. Freedom is the desire of our hearts. And the question of the kingdom that we are continually confronted with is, do we want to follow the rules or is the desire of our heart to be like Jesus. If you're really talking about holiness here, we're talking about mature living. We're talking about being people who are full in with God. I was thinking about this a couple of months ago. Uh, our oldest son, John, and his wife uh, are move, getting ready to move into a new house, and so they've been painting everything in the house. And I've been trying to help him as much as I can. And... Um, most of the work that I've been doing is behind-the-scenes work. I don't know if that's because he doesn't trust me with a paintbrush, but we'll see. I don't know. Probably so. That's probably the case. So, But I'm trying to do all the preparatory work that I can. So I'm puttying the walls and sanding the walls and I'm taping the wall. A whole lot of taping. I wish I had kept track of how many yards and yards and yards and miles of tape that I and others have put down throughout the course of the couple of months that John has been painting. Rolls and rolls and rolls of blue tape. And I remember one day, on my hands and knees, taping the baseboard, and a thought came to me. I think this is kind of like the kingdom. Because what, what I find, what I realize is that as, as when you put down tape when you're going to paint, because you're not a very experienced painter. 
Because I discovered that people who are experienced painters, they, they have some friends who have done a lot of painting, and when they come to help, they don't need tape. They just paint. They can cut in on the baseboard and the ceilings and the door frames because they've done it a lot and they're experienced and they're mature at painting. And so they don't need tape to paint. It is inexperienced and immature painters who need tape to paint. And the more immature the painter, the more tape you need. If we handed their their almost three-year-old daughter a paintbrush and a can of paint and said, Okay, you paint, you better have tape everywhere. Right? Because she is extremely immature at painting. And the goal is not to see how much tape we can put down. The goal is to get to the end and the walls and the baseboard and everything look like you want it to look. And I find that in the church, we often turn that on its head. And we often give the impression that the more holy you are, the more mature you are, the more you follow the rules. And the more you want other people to follow the rules. And the more tape you put down. And we get real nervous if we don't have lots and lots of tape. But Paul is saying, you have the wrong focus. You think the kingdom is about the tape. You think the kingdom's about the rules. It's not. It's about the walls. And I think that when God says to us, okay, you've got some boundaries, and, you, and I know you want it to look good, and, and I want to help you with it looking good, and if you let me, we'll get better and better at doing this. But when it comes to the walls, you painted anything you want to. You can paint it purple, green, red, yellow, and all of those together if you want to. Be creative because that's what freedom does. Rules continually stifle creativity. And God is a God of creativity. All you have to do is to spend five minutes looking around outside and you see God is a God of creativity. Look around this room and you see God is a God of creativity. And to follow God is not to stifle creativity, it's to expand it. And it's to give us freedom to be creative. And we all have different gifts and callings and abilities and, and yearnings. And God uses all of those things. And, he, and it's not about the rules, it's not about the tape, it's about the walls. And I think we wrestle to grasp that. Now, are there boundaries? Yes. Because God realizes that we all need to bump up against the boundaries sometimes. And we all need those boundaries or else we might end up being doing things that we don't want it to do. And, we don't want, and it ends up looking like we don't want it to look. But within the boundaries, it's not because the rules are not about the boundaries. The boundaries are out here. The rules are in here. We love the rules because they make us feel secure. They make us feel just, we, we feel more comfortable with the rules. Freedom can actually make you feel a little bit nervous. Especially if you've never experienced it. You may have wondered today when you walked in and saw that the service order was kind of mixed up. You know, you're thinking, man, either he's going to preach a long time or we're just doing things differently. And I'm sure everyone was praying it was the second and not the first. But I just thought to myself, if we're going to talk about freedom and we're going to talk about kind of breaking out of rules, 
we need to do things different today. And quite frankly, as I was thinking about this morning, I was second-guessing myself and thinking, was that the right thing to do? Are people going to be upset because we're not following the rules? It makes me nervous. But there's freedom in following God in, in, in what he wants us to do. The problem with rules is that they, rules always cause us to say, how much can I get away with and still be okay? How sloppily can I live my life and still be okay? How self-centered can I be in living my life and still be okay? That's what rules make us think about. Freedom says, how can I live for God? How, how can I be, instead of the rule of, for instance, the rule of tithing, and how little can I give to God and still get away with it, it's rather how much, how generous can I possibly be? Instead of how little do I have to serve and still get away with it, it's how much can I serve in the freedom of God. See, the problem with rules is that they create a mindset of self-righteousness. One of the reasons we like rules is because it gives us a way to judge people, which is what we typically do, right? I'm better at the rules than they are. It's kind of hard to judge freedom but rules, we can, we're always looking for ways to compare ourselves to other people. We're always looking for ways to, to judge other people. Because for some reason, it makes us feel better about ourselves to realize that other people aren't as good at following the rules as we are. But the kingdom is not about self-righteous judging. Isn't that what Jesus condemns the Pharisees for? That they are continually judging other people? And thinking they are better than other people because they follow the rules. Where does their rule following get them? They call Jesus. They say Jesus has a demon. And they end up putting him on a cross. And the other thing about rules is that it, it disconnects us with people. If all you're thinking about is following the rules, then people really don't matter that much. It's not about people, it's about the rules. If I follow the rules, I don't have to listen to people in their, in their struggle. I don't have to sit with people in their pain. I don't have to walk with people through their life. I don't really have to extend myself to other people because all I have to do is follow the rules. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, well, you guys are really good at following all the rules and then you go out and you steal homes from widows. And you prevent people from praying in the temple. And that's what rules do to us. I think we are enamored with rules because we are often afraid. I think so many Christians live our lives in fear. We're afraid of making a mistake. We're afraid of doing the wrong thing. We're afraid of choosing the wrong path. We're afraid of, of, of hurting people and we're afraid of, of being thought less of by people. We're afraid of God. We're just afraid. 
When you look at, at churches that are enamored with the rules, I guarantee you, if you peel off the layers enough, you will find fear. It's fascinating to me that the Apostle John in his first letter says, perfect love casts out fear. He says the kingdom's not about love, about fear. It's about the freedom that is rooted in love and trust. In chapter 3, we didn't read all of this, but as you move on through chapter 3, Paul says you should put off, we need to put off the rags, the dirty rags of our lives. All these earthly things, that, these self-centered things. He talks about sexual immorality and, and greed and, 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 and self-centeredness and all of these things that are filthy rags and they hold us in bondage. Because if we, all we think about is ourselves, then we are in bondage to always making sure that we are at the center of everything. And he says what we need to do is get rid of that stuff. You've died with Christ. Let it go. But he says, then you need to put on the clothes of gentleness and patience and compassion. And above all else, love. You put on love. Because freedom is rooted in love. And love is risky. Freedom is risky. But so is following Jesus. Not because we risk anything from God, but because it means we are living our lives in sacrifice. When we're free, we're able to give ourselves away. We don't have to keep hoarding and, and, and enclosing ourselves to protect ourselves. We are free to be generous. We're free to serve. We're free to love. We're free to forgive. We're free to be merciful. We're free to live really what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. About being humble, poor in spirit, and merciful. And these are people, he says, who inherit the kingdom. One of the things I love about um, communion Sundays is I get to stand here and watch everybody stream to the front. I love to, to look at your faces, to catch your eye. I, I, as you come forward, I often pray for you. I give thanks to God for you. It's, it's, it's a holy moment for me. I also get to see some things that a lot of other people don't get to see. And sometimes they're humorous. Sometimes people you know, pull a piece of bread and they get a whole great big piece and a little child this morning and they weren't quite sure what to do with it. A couple of months ago, it was near the end of one of the services. There were two grade school girls who came down the aisle, some of the last people at that service, and they tore off the bread and the, the cup and they ate it. And they went back to their seats. But as they made their way back to their seats, I just happened to glance out of the corner of my eye and I saw them. And they, were, they locked arm in arm and they skipped all the way across the front of the church and toward the back. I mean, right here in the sanctuary, right in front of God and all of us. So they are skipping right in front of the sanctuary. This holy moment. I mean, all I could do was smile, you know. I mean, and, and it made me think of, of a story. I, I think I've shared this with you before about a pastor who on a Saturday before Easter was out with his children walking around the neighborhood. 
And while they were running around and flitting about like butterflies, he was concentrating on his sermon and he was thinking about trying to get the right words and the right ideas and just trying to figure out you know, all he wanted to say. And he wasn't really paying that much attention to them. And all of a sudden they yelled at him and said, hey, daddy, can you do this? And he looked up and they were skipping down the street. And he said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And he went back to his thinking. And pretty soon they said, no, daddy, can you do this? And he kind of looked at them like, um, I don't know. What do you want me to do? He said, yeah, I can do that. And they said, well, show us. He's like, oh, man, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have a doctorate degree. I'm the pastor of First Church. I have parishioners that live in this neighborhood. They live on this street. I'm not going to go skipping down this street. You don't do that kind of thing. And he said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And they did what children do. They put their hands on their hips. And they said, nah, 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 nah. Daddy can't do it. And he said, what do you, you know, how do you just ignore that challenge, right? And so he said, I looked around to try to see if anybody was out in their yard, if anybody was looking out their windows. And he said, and I did it. I skipped down the street with them. And he said, I got to thinking, why did I ever stop skipping? You know, it's easy on your knees. It's a lot less stress than jogging. You can get a good distance in a short amount of time, you know, and it's kind of fun. And that's when it hit me. I think it's because skipping feels childish to us. And we forget that Jesus said, Unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes freedom feels childish and frivolous to us. In fact, I'm convinced that one of our struggles, as odd as this sounds, but one of our struggles is that sometimes we think freedom just doesn't sound very Christian. This kind of freedom. Because we have been so, we've been so embedded in a, in a mindset of rules that to think of freedom is so frightening to us that it doesn't even seem Christian. But Paul says it's one of the things that defines what it means to be Christian. It's one of the things that defines what it means to be holy. He says, give your life away and to be free to be controlled by the Spirit. And that our desires become God's desires and our yearnings are God's yearnings. That our hopes are His hopes. That our will is absorbed by His will. One of the questions in my mind is, if when we live in eternity, when the new heaven and the new earth, if, it's, if there are not going to be any rules there and it's going to be freedom, why, why would we not want to begin living that life now? If that's what it's going to be then, what's keeping us from living that life of freedom now? Not freedom to be selfish. Not freedom to be self-centered. Freedom to give ourselves away. Freedom to trust. Freedom to love. 
freedom to live in the joy and the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ. Holy Father, thank you for the freedom that is ours in Christ. Forgive us that so often we are hesitant to embrace your freedom. We are hesitant to live in your freedom. And we ask today that you will set us free. Father, as we come to this table today, let it be a table, a place of freedom. Freedom to experience your grace and forgiveness. Freedom to experience your joy and your love. And freedom to be the people that you created us to be. May your blessing rest upon the bread and the cup as we receive them in gratitude and thanksgiving through the grace of Christ Jesus who sets us free. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, we're receiving communion by the mode of intinction. It just means to dip in. And so as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let us know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe this is the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire to live in the freedom of Christ, then come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
joy of that truth, just take a moment, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Thank you for just your blessings to us. Thank you for the freedom that's ours in Christ. We thank you that in our freedom, we are able to love others and to feel the burdens of others and bring them to you and know that you care. And you actually allow us to be a part of your work in this world. And so today we pray for our world. We pray for places of violence and war and ask that you would bring peace. I think especially of Syria after the attack yesterday. We pray for places in this world where there's famine and drought and, and for refugees. And we ask that you would bring your grace and security and, and, and meeting needs in each of these places. We pray, Father, for your church around the world. We think of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria who face great difficulties. And we think especially of, of this this woman there, who is a, her husband has been killed. She's a widow of five children. She's a church leader. She's trying to hold things together. And we pray that you would give to her grace and strength and to the people of that church and that community that they would bear witness of who you are to those around them. We pray, Father, for those who serve you around the world in various places. And we pray today for John Christensen. We pray you would heal his eye from the recent injury and you would give him wisdom and, and understanding about when uh, the trip that had to be canceled to Indonesia, when that should take place. Father, we think of churches around us. We pray today for St. Patrick's Cat Church in Belfast and Pastor Father Dennis Mancuso. Pour out your blessing on this gathering of believers as they serve you and serve their community. And Father, we think of our own needs. People who are grieving. We pray especially for the families of Ella Woolsey and Jerry Alderman. We pray for Nancy Lucky and her family at the death of her father this week. We pray, Father, for the needs and the burdens that are, are a part of, of our lives and our, and our community. We pray for those with health concerns. And we think of Elijah Beardsley, Leonard Watson, Florence Tuber. We pray for Rosalind Danner and Isabella Doherty, for Tim Nichols and Bob Brown and Louise Princell. We pray for Hudson Hess, for Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Chuck Barrett. We pray for Cheryl O'Brien and Ben King and Doris Asepian and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson and Bill Getty, for Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar and others. Father, let your spirit of healing be upon each of them. Lord, thank you for being present with us here in worship. 
Give us the grace to continue to open our hearts and our lives to you, to live in the freedom that you have given us. And we ask this all through the risen Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no
Good morning. I want to take just a couple minutes to just talk briefly about the insert in the bulletin this week uh, regarding the pastoral call vote, which is going to take place next Sunday uh, here during the morning services. Pastor Wes has served faithfully as our senior pastor for 22 years, and this year marks the end of his most recent four-year call uh, to be our senior pastor. It's my privilege to represent the elders in presenting to you a unanimous recommendation of an extended call to Pastor Wes at this point. The difference between an extended call and the typical four-year call um, is that after four years, the elders will still review in coordination with the district office Wes's service um, and make a determination at that point whether or not it needs to come back to the congregation for a vote for continued service or not. In essence, it's really a vote of higher confidence uh, than the standard four-year call. The vote will take place next Sunday in the lower foyer um, entryway to the church uh, as members would ask that you participate in that. Um, It will be available before and after each of the three services next Sunday. Um, If you're unable to be here, uh, for whatever reason, there will be absentee ballots available in the church office. Um, You can get those from Patty, and those just need to be submitted before next Sunday uh, when the vote happens. And if any of you have any questions about that process or uh, understanding that, I'm available. Uh, For any questions, feel free to uh, contact me and let me know, and we'd be happy to talk with you further. Thanks. We have the joy of welcoming some uh, new folks into membership today, so I'm going to ask them to come forward. All who are followers of Christ are a part of Christ's church, but there is a sense in which joining the church is a, is a further step of connection with the church. And those who are joining today are taking this step. I want to ask you just a few questions, and we've gone over this in the class that they attended as well. Do you affirm loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ and desire for Christ to continue to shape you into his image? If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm the core doctrines of historic Christianity and pledge yourselves to the unity of Christ in the diverse group of believers who are the Houghton Wesleyan Church? If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm your allegiance to God and to the church by participating in the life of the church contributing to the support of the church and serving the church by using your gifts and abilities as the church fulfills its mission in the world? If so, answer, I do. I want to give you an opportunity to just know a little bit about the the folks who are joining today. And so we have a couple of elders who are going to come and just give a brief word of introduction of them. Andrew and Addie really need no introduction. Before they came in 2014, I was 160 pounds with a 32-inch waist. Uh, They have three delightful little girls, Jovi, Eliza, and Nora. Uh, Both attended Houghton College, graduated in 2007 and 2008, uh, and then came back to Houghton like I said, in 2014, to open a business and become part of the community. Addie is a member of Partners at Home and heads up the recent uh, Celebrate Recovery uh, movement that we're trying to get started. And Andrew 
takes part in Koinonia and uh, serenades us with his melodious voice, selects Sunday mornings as a member of the worship team. So please welcome me and join er, in welcoming Andrew and Eddie Silbert. I have the privilege of introducing Michael and Rhoda Burgett. And uh, someone once said you uh, should always be kind to people, especially younger people, because they might become your biographer. And those of us that have worked in uh, Houghton community with uh, service to young people, our greatest uh, desire is for people to take up the ministries that we have loved. And that's what's happened with Michael and Rhoda. Uh, They were members of North Rome Wesleyan Church and are transferring here. They are also graduates of Houghton College from 1996. (laughs) That's that's my vintage. Um, They traveled for many years working with YMCA, and for the past, uh, before they settled in northeast Pennsylvania, for the last 10 years. They moved here in December of 2016 to be closer to Michael's family, I believe, and uh, also to take part in Houghton, uh, the things that Houghton provides the community. Michael was a resident assistant in 93-94 when we were still working at the academy, and uh, he currently has come back to work in uh, science and computers and he also coaches the track team. And Rhoda, uh, they have three wonderful children, Mariah, Alexander, and Jordan, Jaden, excuse me. And um, Rhoda is very involved with homeschooling, and she also taught English for a while in high school, I believe. So please welcome Michael and Rhoda Burgett. Uh, the members of the church to stand for a moment and uh, just to welcome these folks into the fellowship of the church. You can all stand. Let's let everybody stand. This is good. Let everybody stand. So do you, the members of the church, welcome these into the fellowship of the church? You commit yourselves to walk with them in love, through discipleship and counsel and exhortation and grace, and to join together our hearts and our lives in patience, gentleness, and love. If so, answer, we do. Holy Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Pour out your spirit upon us as your church. We pray especially for these who are joining today. May they really sense the body of Christ joining with them in their journey with you. And may we together encourage each other and exhort each other and challenge each other and love each other through the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please remain standing for the last song. Thanks.
After the benediction, I'm going to ask uh, the Silberts and the Burgettes to come back down front. Just give you a chance to greet them, welcome them, and uh, just share a word of uh, congratulations to them as they're joining the church today. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.